Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for a time of worship through song and prayer, Lord, and and we just pray that you are honored by the things we've already said and done. And now, Lord, as we open the truth of your word, I pray you would just speak very clearly to us. Help us to continue in the spirit of worship, trusting you, seeking you, falling upon our face just to hear from you, coming to your throne, Lord. And I pray as we read your truth, you would speak very clearly to us. Help us to understand areas in our lives that need to change, Father, things that we need to be doing differently. And Lord, I pray again through the power of the Spirit that we could be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs. So if you're not familiar with that book of the Bible, you can go to Psalms and go right. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. If you get to Isaiah, you've gone too far. So that's kind of where we are. I'm excited this morning because we're starting a brand new sermon series in the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs. I'm excited about this. We're going to kind of take the summer to work through this. We've got about eight weeks over the summer and we're going to work through the Song of Songs. And I'm excited about this because I believe this book speaks directly to issues that our society is struggling with. Now I want to make a statement I want you to pay attention to in here because it's very important. It'll serve as kind of a foundation for us moving forward. I want you to hear this. This book, the Song of Solomon, or I'm going to call it the Song of Songs, this book is very simply a book about love, romance, sexuality, passion, and intimacy. Now here's what I want you to hear about those things. All of those things are God's idea. You understand that? He, amen. Let's go home, I'm done. I mean, what else is there, man? That was easy. See, the faith of a child, she got it. Yes, we know that. God created these things. But he did it for our joy and for our excitement, for our pleasure. This book shows us that this man and this woman, we're going to get into kind of what it looks like and how it works. This book shows us that deep, passionate intimacy between a man and a woman in the context of a godly marriage is not only seen in this book, but it's possible in our lives. God wants us to experience this. This is the picture God's given us, and yet it would seem that the world, Satan in particular, has taken what God has given us, his gift to us, this beautiful creation, and he's twisted it, hasn't he? See, here's what we need to understand about Satan. Satan cannot create anything. He doesn't create What he does instead is he takes what God creates and he steals it and he twists it and he makes us believe things about it that aren't in fact true. Did you know that? That's what what the enemy does. And so he takes things like love and marriage and intimacy and passion and he steals those things away and he tricks us and he lies to us. And if we're not very careful and real intentional in the way we walk and the way we live our lives, if we're not careful, we begin to buy into what the world says. 
And when our marriages and our love life begins to look like and model what the world says is true, we're heading down a bad path. See, the the enemy has taken this truth and stolen it from the Lord. And so we end up in a place where loving, monogamous marriage has been replaced with promiscuity and affairs. That's where we are now. We live in a place where waiting until marriage before sexual relations have been replaced with hooking up. Now, if you're a little bit older and don't understand what hooking up means, it's simply where there are sexual relations without any commitment. That's exactly what it means. And it's rampant on college campuses. If you think I'm making it up, just go do the research. It's becoming more and more rampant on high school campuses. Right? Because what we've done is we've taken the, the beauty of this relationship, the beauty of intimacy that God has given us, and we've reduced it to a physical act. And when it's simply a physical act, there's no need for commitment. And so these students and these young kids are partaking in this, very unaware of the baggage they're creating in their lives. That's the world we live in. We're bombarded with sexual content on all different levels, aren't we? Television, movies, internet. All sorts of social media. You can't even literally go to a bookstore anymore and walk down the magazine aisle without being tempted. There's just all sorts of pictures. It's just everywhere you go, we're tempted by these things. We find ourselves now in, in a country where the courts have legalized homosexual marriage. As, as far-fetched as it sounds to us, we are literally debating in our society now gender reassignment. And we're debating whether or not it's okay for a man to use a woman's bathroom. That's kind of where we've descended to in our society. We say, how in the world did we kind of look up and all of a sudden find ourselves here? I think what's happened is we've forgotten the teaching of God's word, haven't we? We as men and women of faith, Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, have not stood up enough and said, this is truth and we desperately need it. And so the Song of Solomon paints this picture of love and romance and marriage that's not only wonderful, but it's attainable. And so I just want to speak to you just for a moment, those of you in this room that may be struggling with your marriage. In a church this side, there, there, there are lots of people that are, I get that. But I just want you to hear just a real clear truth, and I hope you see it throughout our study over the course of the summer. Your marriage can have joy. Your marriage can have fulfillment. It can have passion and intimacy. But if you've kind of found yourself in this place where none of those things exist anymore, you need to kind of get back on track. And one of the ways you can do it is by seeking what the Lord says about marriage, what the Lord says about sexuality, and figuring out how to, how to translate that into your life for his honor and for his glory. Here's what one, one writer said. Here's how he explained it. The same God who's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness The same God who calls us to righteousness, holiness, and a life without compromise. The same God who forgives sin and guides those who seek wisdom. This same God is the foremost expert on your need for romance, your sex drive, your future or current marriage. Based on what he knows about us and desires for us, he's provided an instruction manual so that we might truly live with the joy and intensity of satisfaction that he created us to experience. This is the plan God has for us 
We can no longer allow the world to hijack it and take it from us. Now, I just want to reassure you before we get too far into this text, I just want to talk for a second to moms and dads. I want to reassure you that as we preach through this, this is a provocative book. It goes into a lot of stuff. And I I just want you to not fear as you come every week whether you can bring your kids. They're not in here now, but I have four children that listen to me preach every Sunday. I've got to be aware of. By the way, I can say this because she's not here. My 15-year-old is mortified that we're going through this book over the summer. She said, you're going to stand up and talk about what for eight weeks? I'm going to kind of guard my words. I want you to be reassured. I'm going to be careful in what I say. The language I use is going to be very appropriate. I'm going to use it according to the context of the book. I don't want you to fear about that. Sometimes I'll use words that maybe you'll understand they won't. But I think there are things we need to talk about. I think far too many churches have kind of been afraid to talk about this. Far too many pastors don't want to stand up and kind of talk the truth because it's uncomfortable. And yet in the meantime, our society withers away and our families die and our marriages suffer. We need to understand that there is hope for our marriages There is intimacy that can be attained in our marriage. It's a beautiful picture, but we need to examine the will of God in order to do it. So here's my hope, kind of three things I want to accomplish over this summer study. One, I want to present to you the beauty of this book. It's beautiful. I've read through it now numerous times. I've been really delving into it the last several weeks and studying. I just love reading. It's a really, really beautiful song. Here's the second thing. I want you to see in our study the beauty of the love between a man and a woman in a marriage context. It's a beautiful picture. We'll see it through this study. And number three, ultimately, I want you to see God's love for us. The reason you can love your spouse is because God first loved you. Did you understand that? And as God loves you, you love your spouse. There's a whole kind of idea and some theology we'll draw as we move through this book. And so I want to give you, before we look at the actual verses, a little bit of instruction. I've kind of got an introduction that I want to give you. I want you to see some things that are important that you need to understand as we move through this book. Because in order to understand it, in order to kind of get it, there's some kind of ground rules we need to set. Here's, here's the first kind of introduction I want you to understand. This book is written by Solomon. Now, it could be about Solomon or it could be about another person. We don't know for sure. The Bible doesn't tell us the name of the man or even the name of the woman. And so we understand that Solomon wrote it, but we're not quite sure who it's about. The Bible tells us that he wrote 3,000, Solomon wrote 3,000 proverbs, 1,005 songs. And of all the songs he wrote, this is the greatest. It's the song of songs. It's of all the songs he wrote, it's the best. It's kind of number one on the hit chart, so to speak, B.C., before Christ, right? Best song ever written. Now, we need to understand as we kind of think through this song something very important about the way we're going to interpret it. So I'm going to give you just a a real quick understanding, kind of an idea here of biblical interpretation. The song of songs is poetry. It's not historical narrative. There's a very big difference. Let me explain the difference to you. We just came out of a book. We are studying the book of Genesis. Genesis is a historical narrative. It tells us the history of the Jewish people. It tells us Abraham, Isaac, and and all the stories of their families and Noah, and we just finished doing all that. So when we read about Abraham taking his son up on the mountain for the sacrifice, we see that as a historical truth. Okay, that's a historical narrative. So we can read that, and we can understand that, and we can learn facts about Abraham's life and chronology. When we read the Song of Songs, it's poetic. It's very different than historical narrative. Let me give you an illustration that I think will help you. Every time you go to a big sporting event or some kind of a big event, oftentimes we start by singing the national anthem, right? The Star Spangled Banner. We've all sang that before. We know the words. 
Did you know, by the way, there are four actual verses? We just seen the first verse. It's kind of interesting. You should read the whole thing. It's kind of interesting to read. But you may not know this, but the Star-Spangled Banner was written by Francis Scott Key. It was written about the Battle of Fort McHenry in the War of 1812. Okay, the Second American Revolution, we won the first time. They came back in 1812. We beat them again, right? Way to go, America. We're kind of proud of that. And so there's this second war that takes place. And in that war, the British come and bombard Fort McHenry. It's a fort in the middle of Baltimore Harbor. The Americans repelled the invasion. They won the battle. And so in the morning, he writes this poem that becomes the national anthem. Uh, you know, the dawn's early light. So, you know, you know the words. You've read it. You've sung it. You know the song. But when we sing the Star-Spangled Banner, it's a song. It's poetic, right? We don't sing it so we can learn facts about the battle. We don't sit around after we sing it at the baseball game and go, oh, well, did the Rockets really glow red or were they more of an orange autumn tint? over the fort that morning. We don't talk about the facts. We sing the song because it brings passion and excitement. It paints a picture of courage and bravery, right? That's why we sing it. And so we read a historical narrative. We want to know the facts. We want to know the chronology. We want to know the history of the people. We want to know those things. That's important. When we read a poem, as Song of Songs is, we want to know big picture. There's imagery that's involved. There's kind of big picture ideas that we need to understand. We don't focus so much on the chronology and exactly who's saying what. We focus on the overall idea and the big picture that the writer intends us to see. Now, there's one other thing I need you to see before we delve into this. It's kind of divided up interesting. If you're, if you're looking at the kind of the printed Bible, you may see if you have it on your phones, it may not be showing it quite as clearly. But there's divisions within the Song of Solomon, Song of Songs. They're basically three different characters. Some of you may see it in your text. There's a man that says he. There's a woman that maybe kind of phrase she in your text. And then there's another one that's kind of friends or a group of others. And so as you read through it, it may say he, and then it's got three or four verses. She, three or four verses. Others, three or four verses. It's a, it's a dialogue. It's a conversation between these three people. There's a man, there's a woman, and there's a group of people. Now, some Bibles have it, some don't. It's, it's easier if they're in there because I want you to see them. It helps us understand kind of how the thing's progressing and how the dialogue's working. But I'll explain to you as we read who's saying what uh, so it can be a little clearer to you as we study through it. And just, a, just a side note, those little insertions were the insertion of the translator. That's important for you to know. It wasn't in the original text. So some Bibles leave it out, other Bibles put it in. It's just kind of a, a reference point for us just to help us understand. By the way, just for fun, did you know chapters and numbers weren't in the original text either? Did you know that? There was no John 3.16 when John wrote it. There was just the whole book of John. Why until the King James Version of the Bible in the 1600s when they divided it up by chapter and verse? And this is fascinating. I don't know where I'm going with this. This is just off the top of my head. This is fun. I enjoy this stuff. When they, when they translated in the Middle Ages into the King James Version, John 3.16... Every translation since that has maintained that same division because it'd be very difficult if the King James was John 3.16 and the NIV was John 3.17. It'd be complicated. So those divisions in 1611 were the same divisions we use today. But all that's inserted by translators. So when you say he or she, that's inserted by the translators. It's not necessarily from the Lord, but it helps us understand kind of where we're going. Okay? I feel like I need to take questions at this point. We're all good. Anybody need to... Okay, let's roll. Here we go. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Let's walk right through this. Solomon's Song of Songs, right? He's the author. We don't know whether it's about him or not. Let him, this is the woman speaking initially, right? And it's a dream. She's not speaking to a man. She's kind of having this dream. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. 
for your love is more delightful than wine. Some of you men are thinking, no, this is all of a sudden my favorite book of the Bible, man. Where have you been all my life? Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. Here's the first truth I want you to see. This is foundational. It's important. We'll see it kind of sprinkled throughout this book. Number one, this couple has a passionate desire and attraction for each other. This couple has a passionate desire and attraction for each other. Now, it's important for us to understand moving forward, this couple is not yet married. Okay, so the first couple of chapters is kind of the dating courtship idea. They'll get married somewhere in the middle of the book. We'll talk about that and understand that. Then after that, they're married. We see kind of the joys and the struggles of marriage. So at this point in the Song of Songs, the couple is not yet married. But this woman is dreaming about this man. She's dreaming about her love for him and the passion she has for him and all the ways that she wants to kiss him and all the things that he reminds her of. And this idea of attraction is really found all through the book. And so every time we read a few verses, and especially every time we read a chapter, we're going to see foundational our understanding is this idea of passion and attraction. Now let me just kind of insert something here that's important before we move forward. We're going to look at kind of two aspects of this attraction here that the text brings out. Both of them are important in our relationships. Okay, both of these two aspects of attraction, we're going to see in just a second, both of them are really foundational to our relationships. Here's the first attraction we see. The first attraction we see in verses 2 and 3 is a physical attraction. Okay, this woman, and we'll see in a little while, this man, they're physically attracted to each other. Look at verses 2 and 3 again. Pull those up if you would for me, please, Stephen. Listen to the physical things she says and discusses the idea of touch and smell and sight, right? Let him kiss me with the kisses of of his mouth. For your love is more delightful than wine. Again, imagery here. What what does wine do? We're not thinking she's actually drinking wine. We're understanding the imagery of wine. What does wine do when you drink too much of it? It intoxicates, doesn't it? She's saying to this man, I I love you. I want to kiss you. I want you to kiss me. When I'm around you, the love I have for you is intoxicating to me. That's what she's saying to this man. Go to verse 3. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfume. Right, You smell good. I'm physically attracted to you. I want to kiss you. I'm intoxicated when I'm around you. I love the way you smell. We see over and over again that there's this physical attraction between this man and between this woman. Here's something you need to understand. This is very important. Physical attraction is very normal. We get that, right? Nobody has to be convinced of that. We understand. Physical attraction is very normal, but sometimes here's what we miss about it. It's God's design for us. We're designed, men and women are designed to be attracted to one another. So we don't need to run from it. We don't need to be afraid to talk about it. We don't need to kind of sweep it under the rug. This idea of passion and kissing and the intoxication you have for one another and the physicalness. We don't have to be afraid of that. But we need to put it in the proper context. See, I'm reminded in Genesis chapter 2 when God created Adam and Eve And he created Adam and he put Adam to sleep and pulled the rib out. You remember the story? He created her. And the Bible tells us that when he had presented her to Adam, remember, this is what's happened. Understand context. God had been looking for a suitable helper and he'd brought all the animals in front of Adam and he couldn't find a suitable helper. 
And it's kind of funny to think about Adam sitting there, and, you know, here comes the horse. Nee, I, don't, I don't think so. What a monkey? Mm, probably not. He, on and on the list goes, right? And God puts him to sleep and wakes him up, and he presents the woman to him. And the Bible says in Genesis 2.23, the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Hebrew scholars say that that phrase, this at last, doesn't translate very well. A better way to say it would be, wow, there she is. Look at that. Would you look at that, right? I mean, just imagine. He's already, he's seen all these animals. Nothing's working for him. And all of a sudden, God brings this woman. He's like, look at her, right? So just a context here. This is God's design for us. God created this for our pleasure and for our enjoyment. Here's the thing about physical attraction. It happens quickly, right? Guys, when you, if you're married or if you're dating somebody pretty seriously right now, when you first saw your wife, it didn't take you several months to decide if you liked the way she looked, did it, guys? You didn't go home a week later and go, you know, I don't know. It was like immediate. Wow, there she is. See, that's the beautiful part about physical attraction. But we're going we're to say a lot more about this as we move forward. But here's the danger, guys and girls that aren't yet married. Sometimes it can take us a little too far, can't it? Because God puts these beautiful boundaries on our lives for a very specific reason. Here's what he's saying to us. He's saying, I'm going to give you this beautiful thing, right? I'm going to give you this physical attraction. I want you to like the way your spouse looks, but you need to be careful how far you take it before you're married. Now, again, there's a lot more to say about that. I'm not getting there yet. I'm not jumping ahead because that's not in our text yet. But that's just kind of picture of where we're going. I kind of, kind of speak to the younger, the people that are not yet married, right? And we said a second ago, these areas of attraction, the first one is physical. We should find that in our relationship. So that's easy for the young couples that aren't married yet or for those that just married, married a couple years, that's easy. But let me just tell you, just being real transparent, sometimes as our marriage goes along, that aspect of it becomes more difficult, doesn't it? Because we get bogged down in time. We got jobs we got to do, kids are around all the time all of a sudden, you know, and they're awake and they're coming to bed with us and there's all kind of issues we have to do and it becomes more and more difficult. But I just want to encourage you, married couple, physical attraction and passion and intimacy have to remain part of your marriage. If it doesn't or it's not, you need to examine it. You need to do something about it. You need to be intentional as you date and communicate and share experiences with each other because physical passion is kind of foundational to moving forward in the relationship. But now, it's important we get this because physical passion isn't all there is. If physical passion is all you have, you're going to run into some real problems in a real hurry. So there has to be more. What does our text say? Look at verse 3. Pull that up for me if you would, please. Right, so she likes the way he smells. She wants to kiss him. She's attracted. There's this physical chemistry going on, this intimacy that she's dreaming about. But look at verse 3. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes, right? She even likes the way he smells. But look at the middle part of verse 3. Your name is like perfume poured out. You see what she does there? See, the first area of attraction is physical, we get that. But secondly, and I would argue even more importantly, there's the idea of attraction of character. So we're attracted physically to each other. Yes, that's the easy part. The difficult part is choosing good character. See, she recognizes this man that she likes, but she also likes his character. Now, let me just say this for dating couples or for married couples. Dating couples, you need to find somebody that you're not only physically attracted to, but you're attracted to their character. Married couples, 
You need to make sure within your marriage you maintain the idea of physical attraction and physical intimacy as well as character growth and character development. I'm going to give you a list here. These are just a few things as you think about dating or as you think about marriage. If you're dating, these are the kind of characteristics you need to look for. If you're already married, you need to try to become or grow these character traits in your own life. We have a list of them. Here's the first one. Follower of Christ. Students, if you're dating, let me just be very clear with you. Your non-negotiable very first thing is, is this person, is this guy or this girl a follower of Christ? I'm begging you, if it's not, you need to come talk to me or talk to mom and dad or break it off. It's not going to lead you where you wanted to lead. It's just real simple. You don't, you don't necessarily believe me yet. I'm just telling you, I've known enough and your parents have known enough people that have walked down that path to understand you're, you're heading to a bad place. You need to find a person that's a follower of Christ. Not just a follower of Christ, but someone that's actively involved in their faith. So husband that's been married for 25 years, you're like, check number one off, I'm a follower of Christ. Are you actively living out your faith in front of your wife? See, these are character traits you need to be developing within your marriage as well. You need to actively follow Christ and live out your faith in front of your wife and in front of your kids. Does this person that I'm interested in as I'm looking at character have a servant's heart? Does this person seek the Lord? Is this person kind and considerate to you? Just a kind of a side note and, and maybe some information some of you aren't prepared to hear. If this person is not kind and considerate before you're married, they're not going to be kind and considerate after you're married. It's not like some magical something goes over them the day they say, I do, and all of a sudden their character is perfect. It's not. You need to be looking for these things as you date. Men and women, you need to be developing these kinds of things within your relationship. See, we need to be attracted to each other physically, but we need to be attracted to our character as well. Pick up verse 3 again, please, Stephen, if you would. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you, right? This guy, she's saying he's good looking physically. He's got a great character. He's kind of the total package, right? He's everything that any girl could ever want. This is the man that she loves. Had the opportunity into last year to, to go backpacking. If you've ever been backpacking, or maybe if you've never been backpacking, it's pretty simple. It's camping, but it's when you take everything with you on your back. And when you go backpacking, you have to be very careful about what you take. You need a tent, and you need some shelter, and a sleeping bag, and some food. But you have to be careful about the amount of stuff you put in your backpack, because after 15 or 20 miles walking through a mountainous trail, that backpack gets really heavy. And so you have to limit what you want to do. And when we went at the end of last year, it was extremely cold. In fact, we were out for three days. It was so cold. We woke up both mornings. There was ice inside of our tents. It was a really cold morning. And on a cold morning, when you're backpacking out in the woods on a mountainous trail, if you're going to have any sense of, of kind of safety and enjoyment in the evenings, you have to build a fire. Now, if you've ever built a fire in the wilderness or when you're backpacking, you understand you can't carry wood with you. It's just too heavy. And so what you do when you get to a campsite, before it gets dark, you set up your tent first. That's number one. The second thing you do is you begin to gather wood. And it's easy when you start the process because the first thing you want are the small little twigs. They're the dried leaves and the pine cones and the branches. And you gather all those things up and you kind of dump those in the fire pit. Now just kind of think about, stay with me, the analogy between a, a fire, building a campfire and a relationship. Watch this analogy here. 
Okay, the small stuff and all the small wood and the dry leaves and the pine cones, that's kind of the physical sexual attraction. That's easy to come by. It's easy to find. It's the first thing we notice. And when you're standing around that campfire, if you set a light, a match to that real dry twig or that real dry leaf, what happens? You've got this massive fire. And if you've ever done this before, you light this thing up and literally 10 seconds later, it's a roaring flame. Just burning, it's hot, and you're like, We're amazing, guys. Look at this fire. I mean, this is incredible, right? And then four minutes later, it all dies out because that stuff burns hot and heavy and it's gone in just a few minutes. But if you want a long lasting fire that's going to provide you comfort and safety all through the night, you need big logs. That's the hard part. Breaking a little twig and some dry branches and some leaves and pine cones, that's easy. Getting logs are hard. And so we had a hatchet with us and we literally were chopping at trees and cutting wood. And it took us probably an hour to get enough pieces of wood that we could begin to put on that log. Because when you think about the idea of a relationship and the the physical passion that flames up quickly, that'll burn hot and it'll burn fast and it'll go out in a hurry unless you add some other logs to it. See, the big logs you add are character issues. You understand that? Honesty integrity, compassion. All the things that we ought to be doing in our relationship, the way we ought to be treating each other, those are the logs that we put on the fire, the character issues, the devotion, and the kindness, and the communication, and the forgiveness. And what you begin to understand is it's that passion, that small stuff, that over the course of time begins to ignite that big stuff, and all of a sudden you've got this roaring fire that will last you through the night. One writer said it like this, the glowing coals of love, morality, holiness, devotion, honesty, forgiveness, communication, and love for God take time to develop. Physical goes quickly. Character takes time. If you rush into this thing only thinking physical and not character, you're going to be burned, literally. And so God gives us this model. Let's be attracted to people physically, yes, but let's delve more into their character. What about them do we like? What character traits can we be attracted to? Now, let's continue. Verse 4. Middle of verse 4, right? We're going from her talking to our friends talking now, right? We will exult and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love each other, right? So the friends are noticing now what she's thinking. Again, this is imagery. We're not thinking they're all in a room having an actual conversation. Then she talks again. How right they are to adore you. Then she begins to describe herself. Dark am I, yet lovely daughters of Jerusalem. Dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me, made me take care of the vineyards, my own vineyard. I had to neglect. Now this is not an ethnic issue right here. This is very simply, she's been out in the sun too much and she's gotten dark. Right? She says, I've been taking care of this other stuff. I've kind of neglected my own vineyard. I've neglected my own body. I'm not real happy right now with the way that I look. Verse 7. Tell me, you whom, you whom I love. This is the woman talking still. Speaking to the man she loves. Where do you graze your flock? Where and where you rest your sheep at midday. Right? She wants to go see him. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? Then he begins to speak in verse 8. If you do not know, most beautiful of women... Follow the tracks of the sheep, graze their young goats by the tents of the shepherds. I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. 
Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make earrings of gold studded with silver. Here's kind of the final truth I want you to see. After she's kind of been concerned about the way she looks, she's not quite certain that he's going to be as attracted to her as she is to him. Here's the next truth. He reassures her that she is beautiful. Now, man, let me just give you a little piece of marriage advice. This is just a little nugget you can take home with you. You should reassure your wife on a regular basis that she is beautiful. He tells her, even as she's not sure herself, that she's a beautiful woman. That's interesting the way he does it. I think it's just kind of fascinating and really very funny. Look at verse 9. I liken you, my darling, to a mare harnessed to one of the chariots of Pharaoh. Now, guys, here's another piece of marriage advice. This one's for free. Don't compliment your wife by telling her she looks like a horse. Just FYI. There. You say, how in the world could this be a compliment to this woman when he says, you, you, darling, you look like a mare? That's a female horse, right? Well, it doesn't make sense until we understand in context, and it's beautiful when you get in context, right? So Pharaoh would lead with his chariots in times of war. The chariots were pulled by these strong stallions, these male horses, right? Very strong and powerful. And so when Pharaoh would attack, these chariots by the hundreds would come roaring across the battlefield towards the enemy. Almost impossible to defeat Pharaoh's chariots. And yet here's what some people begin to do. They begin to say, you know, we can't out-strengthen, we can't out-muscle those stallions. So let's take some female horses that are in heat and let's send them out into the battlefield as those stallions are charging across the battlefield. And so guess what those stallions do when they get halfway across the field? <laughs> right? <laughs> you, see, you see this over here? And all of a sudden, these stallions that are charging across the battlefield stop in their tracks and they're interested in this mayor, right? You know what this man is saying to this woman? I think you're beautiful. I can't look at anything else but you. You've got my attention. That's what a woman wants to hear, isn't it? I can't think of anything else but you. <laughs> I know I'm supposed to be doing this and going here and charging and fighting, but I can't keep my eyes off of you. I can't stop thinking about you. You are beautiful, my darling. I want to be with you. That dress you wore today is beautiful. I can't stop thinking about it. I loved your shoes. I missed seeing you when I was gone at work, right? Man, these are the things we ought to be doing. Now, here's what some of you are thinking. You know, I think that all the time. It's not enough just to think it. You need to be saying it. You say, I'm just not good with words. Write it down. It's okay. Think it out. Go online and download a poem and write it out by hand. It's the thought that counts, okay? <laughs> Something is better than nothing. You need to be telling your wife on a regular basis that she's beautiful and you can't stop thinking about her. Why? Because God has given us this beautiful idea of passion and attraction and physical intimacy and the character issues that go along. Those things build a strong bond and when those things are at work in our marriage, the wife is fulfilled, the husband is fulfilled, and God receives the glory. You see, God created this for us. God gave us this beautiful picture. And he says in 1 Corinthians 13, faith, hope, and love, but the grace of these is what? Love. God says, I love you, and so you in turn can love your spouse. See, God wants us to have strong, godly marriages where we are fulfilled physically 
emotionally, spiritually. And when we do that and we just trust him and we do the things he calls us to do in his word, not only do we receive great joy and fulfillment in our lives, but the Lord receives glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the words you've given us. Thank you, Father, that um, we have an opportunity to learn about marriage and learn about physical attraction and character and how we ought to act, Father. I pray that this study throughout the summer would just be important to us, that it would help couples, Father, give us a better picture of what marriage and love ought to be like. And Father, I pray that as we continue to work through it, you would just speak very clearly into the hearts of our marriages in those private conversations just between the husband and the wife, Father. May grace be clear and sufficient, and may you receive honor and glory for everything we say then and do. Father, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to open the altar. You can come and pray. I, I don't want anybody to be uncomfortable this study this summer with this kind of subject matter. This is a, a matter of great prayer in a lot of homes. Pray where you are. Come pray at the altar. But this is your time to respond as we sing together. You come. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.